Thank you, guys. Friends, would you open with me in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 52? This is the very last chapter, the very last paragraph in the book of Jeremiah. We're going to open to chapter 52. And I've got a little bit of a pet peeve when a pastor asks you to turn to a passage and then he doesn't read it right away. So you're kind of like hanging out there with your Bible open and you're ready to read, but nobody reads. So I'm just going to tell you right now, stick your bulletin in chapter 52, close your Bible, put it next to you, take a deep breath. It's going to be a few minutes before we read this paragraph. I'm going to take a little bit of a risk this morning, and that is to share very openly and honestly about something that's going on in my life right now. As many of you know, this past year was a very difficult season for our church. We began a year ago conversations among our leadership that ultimately led to the resignation of our associate pastor. A lot of stuff happened behind the scenes this past year. Some of it was beautiful and gracious, and I wish you could have seen it, and I wish I could share other people's stories. And some of it was really, really, really hard. And Julie and I limped out of this past year saying this was our worst year of ministry ever, hands down. Well, when all this began to happen last summer, um, because of the stress, I'm sure, and the spiritual warfare, I developed a nervous tick that only happened to me on Sunday mornings and only happened when I started to preach. It's hard to actually be standing in the pulpit and talk about this, but when I would get up to preach, my mouth would go completely dry and I would start choking on my words. I don't know how much you noticed this last summer, but it began to plague me. I started thinking about it. I started to worry about it. It would happen on Sunday, and I would get flustered in my preaching. And it seemed like, which anxiety can do, the more I prayed about it, the worse it got. Like the more I kept bringing it up to God, the more I was thinking about it, and the worse that this anxiety just became in my life. It was terrible. I just distinctly remember last summer, I'd preach on Sunday, and and I would just feel terrible, and I'd sit down on Monday morning, which is my favorite time of the week, when I get to open up the Bible and, and think about next week's passage, and I love to study, and a little voice would come to me in those moments and say, what's the point? You find great things in the passage, you write an amazing sermon, you're just going to choke on your words, what's the point of preaching? And that voice just brought me so much discouragement, I began to dread the thing I love the most, and that is to stand up and preach. You know, in the very first chapter of Jeremiah, God comes to Jeremiah, he's a young man, and he says, look, I want you to be a prophet. You're a nobody, but you're going to stand and you're going to speak to kings, And Jeremiah says, no way, no how, for two reasons. Number one, I'm young. And number two, I have no idea how to speak. I can't speak. And when we started our Jeremiah series, I would have said I share one of those things in common with Jeremiah. I'm young, but at least I know how to talk. 
And God has laid that very low this past year. Well, after a month, I started seeing a psychiatrist. She gave me anti-anxiety medication, which I take every single Sunday morning so that I can get up and I can at least speak a coherent sentence without tripping over my words. And for a year, I've found incredible relief in that. That's what I needed, and it was a huge help to me. For the record, I have zero theological problem with people taking medication, certain medication, for certain seasons or long-term for anxiety and depression. I've got no problem with that, with other people doing that. I just don't want that person to be me. I want to encourage other people when I do, they do that. I, I just don't want to be the one who needs to take it. Well, this morning, it's been a full year of this season, and I did not take my meds this morning. I woke up this morning, I had planned to do this, and we're going to give it a whirl. I'm going to try to preach a sermon without my medication. Now, that's a gamble. But the way I see it, here's the worst thing that is going to happen this morning. I'm going to start choking on my words. I won't be able to finish the sermon. I'm going to be really embarrassed that I brought up this whole thing, expecting a victory, and then we don't get a victory. And I go back on my medication next week, and I have that for a longer season. The way I figure, that's the worst thing that could happen. And you know what? That's okay, right? That's okay. Thank you. Thank you. I'm weak. You're weak. God is strong. I praise God that I am in a church that I can fail in, right? And that's okay. So let's pray. Let's do that now. Heavenly Father, if from this day forward or a future day forward, you give me the gift of eloquence that I can speak with the tongues of men and angels with love, blessed be the name of the Lord. That's from you. That's a gift. And if today and going forward, I stumble and I choke and I become dependent on anxiety medication, that's okay too. Blessed, blessed be the name of the Lord. It's not about me. It's not about my words. It's not about my spiritual gifts. It is about you. The kingdom does not exist in talk, but in power. It hardly matters the talking head that's in front of the congregation. If your spirit is present and your power is palpable, it's going to change the world. That's what we trust in. That's what we lean on. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Be with me. Be with us today. Lead us, we ask, from Jeremiah. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all. feels hard from transitioning from that to a historical primer on where we are in Jeremiah. But it's been a while, and so we need to understand where we stand in the book so that we can conclude the book this week. We are in the 6th century BC. That means 
We are 400 years after what I just read in 1 Chronicles, the time of David and Solomon. And we had read in Jeremiah chapter 39, the fall of Jerusalem to Babylon. God had been warning Jerusalem. He had been warning the southern tribe, the kingdom of Judah, that if they did not repent of their idolatry and wickedness and sin, that God was going to judge the nations. He raises up the prophet Jeremiah and sends Jeremiah to Jerusalem and Jeremiah preaches that same message for 40 years. That's how long the prophet's ministry to Jerusalem was. 40 years and for 40 years God waited. He waited for his prophet to speak. It makes us think of 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God is not slow in waiting 40 years. He's patient. He hasn't forgotten, but he is actively waiting for those who will come to repentance to come to repentance. He did that in Jerusalem's day, and he does that today in our day. But in 586 BC, the waiting was over. And God fell upon Jerusalem through the kingship of Nebuchadnezzar and the power of Babylon like a thief in the night to bring his judgment. The Babylonians, they're a pagan nation. They come, they sack the city, they capture the king, they torture him, and they bound him in chains. They burn the temple, they burn the palace, they tear down the walls, they take away her wealth, and they exile thousands of Israelites from Jerusalem to Babylon, which is close to present-day Baghdad. When we read that account in Jeremiah chapter 39, we said this has to be one of the saddest chapters in the entire Bible. It is. Jeremiah wrote the words in the book of Jeremiah, but he also wrote the book of Lamentations, which immediately follows the book of Jeremiah. And he spoke the words of Lamentations after Jerusalem had fallen. Now, this is a really hard book, the book of Lamentations, to read. In fact, it's so graphic that it wouldn't be appropriate for me to read now with people of all ages present in the church. But here are a few of the things that Jeremiah says when he looks at his beloved city. Lamentations 2.11. My eyes are spent with weeping. My stomach churns. My bile is poured out to the ground because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. Chapter 3, verse 15. God has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. Chapter 3, verse 17. Listen to this. I have forgotten what happiness is. That's from the lips of the prophet Jeremiah. Sometime after he says all of these things, he's essentially kidnapped 
and taken against his will to the land of Egypt where he dies with circumstances that aren't known to us. The last Jeremiah speaks is up through Jeremiah chapter 51, and at the end of that chapter, we see these words, thus far are the words of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 51, he is done speaking, and those who later compiled the book of Jeremiah under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit added chapter 52. This is a way to conclude the prophecy and the story of Jeremiah, and they include the paragraph that we're about to read. You fast forward 37 years from the fall of Jerusalem, and you get this tiny paragraph at the end of the book of Jeremiah, which I'll read, and then we'll pray. Jeremiah 52, verse 31. And in the 37th year of the exile of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, in the 12th month, on the 25th day of the month, evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in the year that he became king, lifted up the head of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and brought him out of prison. And he spoke kindly to him, and gave him a seat above the seats of the kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiakim put off his prison garments. And every day of his life, he dined regularly at the king's table. And for his allowance, a regular allowance was given to him by the king according to his daily need until the day of his death, as long as he lived. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, would you open our eyes and hearts to see these shimmers of grace even in the midst of unspeakable hardship. Would you let us sift through this passage in Jeremiah and to see you, all of you, as you truly are. You are near and personal and kind to us. Open our hearts, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Jehoiakim, the king who's mentioned here, is the second to last king of Judah before her ultimate fall. He was 18 years old. You can read in Jeremiah and the account that's in the book of Kings. He was 18 when he became king, and he was an evil king. He was wicked. He didn't follow God. He didn't do what God had commanded him to do. And he reigned in Jerusalem for a whopping three months before Nebuchadnezzar came and had him bound and thrown in prison. And that is where Jehoiakim sat for 37 years, his entire adult life. Well, after 37 years, we read in our passage that a new king is crowned in Babylon, and his name in English is Evil Merodach, which sounds really sinister, Uh, But that's just an unfortunate transliteration, that there's nothing evil about his name. It simply means in Babylonian, the man of Marduk. That's all it means. But he will forever have this title, evil Merodach. So when a new king is crowned in a nation and a new president is elected in a nation, there's a lot of brown nosing that happens in that season, right? Everybody wants to stumble over themselves to say how delighted they are for the kingship and the presidency. And so that what is what would have been happening in Marduk's day. People would have been expressing their fealty, their allegiance towards him. And as a new king, he would show acts of generosity. He would receive their fealty, and he would show acts of kindness to the people he was going to rule. 
And that happens in our passage in a beautiful, beautiful way. Imagine what it would have felt like to be 55-year-old Jehoiakim. You've spent your entire life in a dungeon in Babylon. And on this day, he is completely and entirely forgiven of the capital crime of treason. Somebody comes to his cell. They announce this good news. They draw him out. They bathe him for the first time in a long time. They, they give him new garments. And then they don't just feed Jehoiakim three square meals that he didn't have in prison, but he's actually brought to Marduk's table and given a seat of honor among the other kings. And not only that, but the king says, I'm going to give him a daily allowance so that he can provide for himself and for his family for the rest of his days. Wow. I mean, nobody saw this coming. Nobody who read Jeremiah chapters 1 through 51 could have possibly guessed at what was going to happen in Jeremiah 52. If you said you guessed this, you are completely lying. It's as if our Heavenly Father is saying to Israel in exile, who would have been reading the account of Jeremiah in Babylon as they received this and heard these words. He's saying to them 2,600 years ago, and to us, the church in Columbia today, I know how to take away, and I know how to give. I know how to bring low, and I know how to raise up. This is exactly what God said to the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 1. When God called him, he said to Jeremiah, Behold, I'm going to put my words in your mouth, and these words hold weight. These words can do things in your life and in your community. I'm going to put my words in your mouth to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. God is saying to Jehoiakim and to Israel and to us, I know how to lay low and I know how to raise up. Trust me in this. I know what I'm doing. When we read a story like this, it it begs a personal question for every single person in this room. You read this account and... Even though God is not mentioned here, you see him behind the scenes acting with his favor. And it begs the question, do you know this kind of God? Do you know, brother, sister, the God who stands behind this passage? I know you know a God. I know you believe or think about a God. That's probably what brought you to a church this morning. You have some kind of respect for, some kind of understanding that there is a God who stands over the cosmos and with that empty category of God, we begin to fill it with all kinds of earthly things that we've experienced from our own Heavenly Father, our employer, our experience with religion, the last church we attended. I know we We know a God, but the question is, 
do you know this God? I know you know a God who can lay us low. Everybody's had that experience. Whether it's our sin or our suffering or our sanctification, every one of us has met a God who can lay us low. And in fact, some of us today would describe our lives not unlike Jehoiakim's. It has felt like decades in a Babylonian dungeon. But have you met this God? Kind and tender, eager to forgive, who loves, loves, loves to give good gifts to his children. I know you've had some kind of encounter with the God of Jeremiah 51. Do you know the God of Jeremiah 52? Have you experienced him? Have you leaned on him? Have you savored him? Do you delight in him? Do you know the God of Jeremiah 52? The Apostle Paul did. When he thinks about this God as he writes to the church in Corinth, this is what he calls this kind of God. The Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. We know that the Apostle Peter met this kind of God because he calls God in his letter the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. We know that Hannah, the mother of Samuel, knew this kind of God because she could have said this prophecy for her son the same as she could have said it over the king Jehoiakim. This is the God I serve. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. And we know that Jeremiah knew this kind of God because even after the worst of the worst, the fall and suffering and unspeakable carnage of the city of Jerusalem, he says... Restore us to yourself, O God. I know you're a God who does that. God of mercies, God of comfort, God of all grace, God who lifts us up and seats us among princes, the God who restores our soul. Do you know this kind of God? And have you experienced this kind of favor from your heavenly father. If you know him, and if you have, you know that the details of the story of Jehoiakim are the details of your own salvation story. The mercies and the comfort that were given to Jehoiakim are the mercies and comfort extended to you by God in Christ. Just like Jehoiakim, he's a God who lifts our heads. That's my favorite benediction to say on Sunday. The God is a shield about me, our glory, and the lifter of my heads. It's the Bible's way of saying, you have nothing, nothing to be ashamed of. 
There's nothing to count against you. You hold your head up high as a believer because God is the lifter of our heads. Jehoiakim was washed, he was cleaned, he was given new garments. That's exactly the way the Bible talks about our justification. Our sin is washed from us. We are dressed in pure, spotless garments of the righteousness of Christ. You can't tell by looking at us that we have this past of sin and shame because it is as done and far from us as the east is from the west and all we see is the spotless righteousness of God's son, Jesus. That would be enough, friends to be lifted up, released from prison, clothed in these garments. But God sets a table for us in the presence of our enemies. He's not ashamed of us. He gives us a seat of honor with kings because we're going to rule with him and we dine at his table. And not only does he do all of these things for us, but he promises that this day and every day forward, He will provide our daily bread because he is our daily bread. Christian, unbeliever, friend, do you know, do you savor, could you bank your life and your kids and your family and your church and your pastor and your righteousness and your lack of spiritual gifts on the God of Jeremiah 52. He will bear us up. Let's pray together. What can we say? What, what can we begin to say, Heavenly Father, that you're not a God who does a business transaction of forgiveness You're a heavenly father who runs off the front porch to greet us, to clothe us in royal robes, to give us your seal and your ring, and to throw a feast for us as prodigal sons and daughters. You lay low, and we take and hold the ways you lay us low, but you're a God who lifts us up and shows us favor. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen.